Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Laundry. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and the self-proclaimed Canadian national champion, Jackson no, Laundry. Take that back. I did not say that. <laughs> the Ontario national champion. <laughs> the Canadian pro triathlon champion, not national champion. You can't say that. That ITU belongs, owns that word. Okay, my bad. I just figured I'd throw that out there so we could clear it up. Okay, cool. But Okay, but well, thank you. Yeah, so what happened this weekend? Basically, Jack, take us through it. Holy heck. We did a real pro race in Canada with prize money non-drafting Olympic distance, which is something that I haven't seen in Canada since I've been a pro. Um, so it was pretty cool to, to be able to do that and PTO to throw a good prize purse in there. Um, bit of a different race because we did the swim and then did the bike run separately later on. So time trial swim and uh, basically take your time and then start on the bike and you start in order of where you finish the swim and according to how far back you were. So it was pretty well a normal race after that, but yeah, it was, um, the men were second. So we didn't start our bike run till about one thirty, And after the swim, I was in ninth out of 10, which is not totally unusual, but a bunch of us were pretty close together. Charles Paquette was way off the front. Um, Brent McMahon had a great swim and he was second. And then everybody else was pretty much between, 1703 or something and 1745 was my time so it, it was short definitely it short. was oh it was short it was 1400 ish meters there's no way nice. i'm 1745 with the wetsuit with anything unless it's down river <laughs> <laughs> at uh, least you're yeah. honest so well, how could it better with fins yeah so uh obviously with the unique format there and kind of unique course too you guys did what 400 laps on the bike uh, 405 yeah, it was uh, 31, 31 laps, crit style. So it was about a 1.28 kilometer loop. Um, and yeah, it was it was really cool to have such a short loop. Like first off, obviously fantastic for the very few fans who were able to be there. And secondly, great for getting like media just for people who have like cameras and like video guys because it's so easy to just get so much footage. But um it was really interesting because Charles Paquette was just finishing his first lap when I was starting the bike. So I got on the bike, had a crappy clip in, like screwed it up, whatever. So he passed me. So then I'm a, a full lap down on him. And then I passed him and probably everyone except for Brent, who was second uh, within like a few laps. But Charles was like going out really hard and he was actually hanging with me and he repassed me on lap number four. So he was in the first four laps, he rode the same speed as me. And then I was like a little, and then he blew, blew up. <laughs> a little concerned about that. Not, I was slightly, but I was like the logical part of my brain was telling me he's going out way too hard. Don't worry about it. But the illogical race brain was telling me go really freaking hard and drop this guy. And I did something halfway in between and passed him back again and put in a bit of a surge to make sure I actually dropped him. And this time it worked. And then um, 
and by that point, so then I'm in third because he's still a full lap ahead of me. And then I got to catch Brent and uh, chipped away at trying to first. I was like, okay, just got to keep going until I can see Brent because he started one minute up on me. And then I started seeing him and then I started seeing him a little sooner, a little sooner. And I eventually caught him around halfway. Um, was that mile, mile two or lap 200? You probably saw Brent. Yeah, it's boat, boat then. <laughs> I think I, I think I passed him on lap 16 ish. And then Charles was still ahead. But at this point, the wheels were coming off pretty good because past Brent, they said, Charles is 30 seconds up. One lap later, I passed Charles. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was struggling a bit. And then he, uh, he was out for a rip <laughs> for a minute. Yeah, he was. And then once I got ahead of Brent, I, like, I put in a pretty good surge to make sure I was ahead. And then I kind of. I kind of backed off like a couple percent off the bike for the last 10 laps or so, just to like make sure I'd be able to run well. So um, ended up passing Charles again. So he really blew up. Um, and Taylor Reed was having a fantastic bike. He got himself into third to, to finish the bike. Uh, and then I had about 40 seconds on Brent to start the run and got off the bike hamstrings, both like, you know how you, don't cramp but you feel them like wanting to cramp you're like they're like i'm about to cramp your butt and you're like oh, oh yeah i felt like, that on iron man vr and i was like thank god i don't have to run off this thing <laughs> yeah so i was a little worried on that but once i because you come out of transition then you go up the hill and they were still feeling like they wanted to seize up and then once i went down the hill and opened up the stride they kind of loosened up and i felt good and then i just kept pushing her to try to like keep on it because i know brent can run like I mean, he's a two-time Olympian. He can run like crazy. So luckily I had my, my best legs on the run. So he was, he was, I was actually getting a slightly further ahead each lap, like one or two seconds um, on average. And then Liam Donnelly ran with me for a bit because he was one lap back. So we ran to pretty much together for a few laps, but yeah, freaking like the old legs held up. I had like my best ride for sure. My best Olympic distance ride. I mean, it's kind of unfair because I didn't swim right before, but um, really good ride. And then run 33.50 for me on a course. It was a bit long. It was like 10.2. So so fast. Pretty stoked on it. But yeah, Brent held really solid for second. There was a good battle for third. Like Taylor was in third. And then Jeremy and Charles caught him like together. So Charles went out really hard on the run too. (laughs) And blew up. And then they ran together for a bit. And then. Taylor fell off the pace. Charles kept going. And then, and then Jeremy just kept trucking. He ended up running 32 30 crazy fast. And then Whoa. Charles blew up again. <laughs> Taylor passed him. And uh, so it was Jeremy brand third, um, Taylor Reed fourth, Charles Peck at fifth and Cody was sixth. So pretty freaking cool day to have. Like it's, you just don't know what's going to happen when you go and you face off against these ITU guys. Cause they have more speed. Like there's no question. They, if we all did a 10 K run, those two guys are beating me hands down, but they don't ride time trial. They don't ride TT bikes. Like it's just, you don't know what's going to happen because some guys just transfer over so well, or maybe they did ride. Like Charles had a TT bike. I didn't know. Maybe he'd been riding in a couple months and was like ready to freaking crush it. So it does definitely add a whole new element when you throw in these guys, you just never race. Yeah, and then some big names on the women's side showed up as well. Uh, I saw Tamara Jewett took the win, kind of the up-and-coming phenom from U of T. Um, yeah. She ran 
faster than a lot of the guys. She ran 35 flat, which is really fast, on the, especially Real on fast. that course. Yeah. And then uh, Emily Kretz, who's ITU girl, and Rachel McBride took third. Uh, so, yeah, some pretty big names. Some pretty big names there. Do you have any play-by-play you want to give us, Jack, on that since Nick and I missed it? Yeah, I I uh, missed the the bike, but I saw the swim. Kira, the junior, is an unbelievable swimmer. She swam like sixteen fifty something. She outswam me by almost a minute, like just ridic- ridiculously fast. And then Emily Kretz was really strong in the swim as well, coming in second for the swim. And then uh, quite a few of them were in between eighteen mid in the ni- to nineteen high range. Um, so they kind of had a, a big group there. Um, and Rach McBride just stormed the bike. Like she just, she was one of the mid to back swimmers and she just clobbered everyone on the bike by a few minutes. So she had a few minutes lead off the bike. And then I think, I think a lot of the other women were pretty close, like Kristen Marchant, um, Emily Kretz, Tamara Jewett, I think we're all pretty close together. Um, and Tamara just stormed the run. She passed Kretz pretty early and then caught Rach, not until pretty close to the end of the run, probably two thirds through. So um, Rach really held on strong. And then um, Kretz ended up catching Rach on the last lap to pass for second. Rach was third. And then Pamela St. Pierre was fourth. She came, she had a strong run as well, running through a couple of the, the women. So, really competitive race on both sides, honestly. And super interesting to have that kind of crit style course with the one really technical sharp turn. Um, definitely a lot of different, that made a huge difference. Like Taylor, for example, rode super well. And I guarantee you a big part of it was he was taking that turn harder than anybody and saving a second or two each lap. Um, but not, didn't seem to be a huge advantage, even on the cornering to be on a road bike. Um, just maybe it's just who the people who are riding them or maybe it's i don't know maybe it was uh just kind of a coincidence but what do you guys find do you find it's a big difference cornering on a road bike personally i don't notice like i can corner pretty well just as well on the ventum as long as it's not like a lot of frequent turning it's more like okay you're just setting up for the one turn yeah i find like the 90 degree corners and stuff isn't too bad especially when you got like the whole road to play with yeah. When you're in tight, sometimes I like being like having some drops, but I mean, if if your nose is straight to the bars, I think there's no disadvantage there, really. If you're on hairpins, though, road bike all the way. If you got oh, like time. zigging and zagging up the climbs, like TT bike sucks. I crashed and went off the road on a TT bike on some switchbacks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think most people in this podcast yeah, have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was kind of a it was a debate going on before the race, like some little bit of Instagram banter about who's what bikes are going to be faster, and you put up a poll, and like fifty fifty people thought that the road bikes might be faster, and you're just like, just wait and see, guys. Just it's uh, I think it was at least two minutes just bike like. Difference. Yeah, one thing you have to factor in too is like the people riding the time trial bikes are just more used to time trialing. Yeah, you know, exactly. like when when you're in an IT race, it's always it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off, uh, and you you know you kind of describe that by like the way Charles rode, right? Yeah. Like in an IT race, you know that first five to ten minutes is an all-out time trial, and then 
the rest of it can can really pulse an effort. But I think being able to keep the foot down for the full 40K around every corner, on every straight, probably played more of a difference than than the bikes. But I would say, yeah, I would always favor a TT bike. The big question would have been disc versus no disc. Yeah. Yeah, I went no disc because I'm not – you can't use a disc in Cozumel, but also – it depends on the bike too, because the Ventum, the way that just the bike is designed and the rear wheel is shielded, it doesn't actually help that much to have a disc. Um, and it's almost a pound heavier. So it's, and I also feel like, okay, you can't handle quite as well just because, you know, it's more of a hard ride. You're not as smooth uh, and it will catch some gusts if you're, you know, if it's a crosswind or something, it wouldn't be as comfortable. So that's mm -hmm. why I went with the no disc. Yeah, I found a. I read a couple studies where uh, they tested that more so for cyclists and time trialists, and uh, it, it does add a lot of strain to your lower back. So especially coming out of the corners continuously, that's something I would probably think about. What do you think, Nikolai? About which aspect? Uh, disc versus no disc on like a bit of a technical hilly course. Well, you're not going to want to spin that thing up 31 times <laughs> or whatever. So yeah. I think you are smart with not using the disc for sure. And just the sheer corner ability. So yeah, you went with the right choice guaranteed. Beauty. That's what I love to hear. So were you boys sad you didn't get to participate, Garrick? You would have probably been, you know, at least. Well, I mean, you know, my best Olympic, my best Olympic bike is like 52. My best run is like 34. So if you, you know, you put that together Swim course is short. I would have swam about 12 minutes. Probably could have taken the win. Oh, man. Garrick with the W. <laughs> Garrick, we'll give you the virtual W. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That's all that matters in these COVID times. That's true. I wasn't bummed that I missed it just because I was so busy trying to put together another event. Yeah. So Let's, talk about that. Let's talk about Yo. that situation. Yeah, Nick, you got something Bear big Lake. coming up this weekend. Brawl. The brawl, Bear Lake brawl. So uh, after you all were, you know, making your own race, I was like, you know what? Maybe I could do something similar. And I knew there were, after Ironman St. George got canceled, uh, there was a race up in northern Utah that kind of rides the border of Idaho. And there's already a course. There's already a race that's been happening there. There's a race director who seems pretty cool. It's COVID approved. So I figured, let's see if the PTO will kick some money our way, if I can get all the Coloradans and the Tucsons and the Californians to come out and race who are pro athletes. So, uh, yeah, they're cool. They said, yes, Bear Lake brawl race director said, yes, we've got a pro purse. We've got 34 pro athletes signed up myself and sky Monch have been taking over the old planning of that, which has been fun coordinating kind of like our own little race within a race. We've got good photographers. We've got some really heavy names coming out and overall just kind of like a tune up for Cozumel but I still think the competition at Bear Lake is going to be really sharp it'll be a fast course probably the fastest course times I've ever seen there but it'll be at 6,000 feet so elevation will play a factor for some people uh, but yeah that's what I got going on this weekend just been planning my own little event watching you know the Canadian Pro Tri Ontario championship <laughs> there's just a lot of words in that title <laughs> it's four words okay i know <laughs> come on bud i just get so anyways yeah just watching what you guys did just actually stoked us both to you know myself and sky to make a really cool event so that's what's up come out and race jackson oh wait you can't because of quarantine 
anywhere yeah, I could. for the listeners who want to follow that race on Saturday, how do they do that? Or can they? I think the, the PTO, if it, that'll be pushing live updates. We'll have some social media pumping through the PTO story. So you can watch uh, that hopefully come out of the water. Who's first it's first through 10th on the bike and then how the runs going. And we'll have some other folks doing that. Um, and we'll always hashtag bear Lake brawl. So you can always follow that hashtag. Nice. nice buddy. And then, uh, so we do have a great episode on tap for you guys today, but before we roll into that uh, question, I forgot to ask Jack, how was the reception with the, the whole format and maybe doing this race going forward in non COVID times? Yeah. Everyone really loved the race. Like it was, it's just so much better as a spectator. It just, it really sucks that the group sizes are what they are. I mean, I totally understand why and it makes sense, but let's say there was no COVID and we had done this race. We literally around that course, you could have 500 people, thousand people, no problem. And it's just, it's so cool. You're seeing everyone a minute, every less than two minutes on the bike. So that was really awesome. Um, it would be great to get it to somewhere where you could do a normal triathlon swim bike run in a row, but I don't think this really took away from it much. Um, it made it stretch out throughout a longer portion of the day, but that was about it. Um, but yeah, it was really good. Like everyone was really good about wearing their masks when people were nearby and, um, staying distance apart. So there was no complaints about safety or anything, which is exactly what we wanted. And I don't know. Can't, can't ask for anything more. Actually, that kind of makes me wonder, Nick, what, what are the protocols for your race? Like there's obviously more than a hundred people. So how are they kind of formatting it for the age group yeah. as well? Yeah. So this race has a sprint to full distance. Um, so there's a lot of options and I think there's over five, there's about 500 people allowed to sign up with the permit that the race director um, got approved for this race. So there's no spectators. There's nobody, meander in around transition hang on the fence you're basically going to drive up park your family's going to stay in the car um, and then you know the good thing is like it's a lake with a lot of shorefront so you can go away from the transition area and probably see some of the race but then on the bike it's one big huge loop around the lake so there's not much spectators going on there and on the run you can like the north side of the lake, they actually have said, you know, there's tons of pavilions, there's tons of open space, there's like 10 miles of, of stretch where you guys can socially distance yourself if you want to watch your athletes, but you can't do it at transition area. And if you're in transition, like all the athletes will have masks, we'll be sanitizing, and we'll be doing time trial starts, sending people off in 10 second bursts rather than big wave starts. So they've got some pretty strict protocols and they have uh they've put on races like this so far in Utah. So they know it's, you know, pretty safe and it's, it's going to work. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah. Oh, one more thing. Most anticlimactic, anticlimactic thing is when you finish, you know, what we're used to having crowds and applause and podiums, but uh, there's none, <laughs> none of that. They're going to be like, Oh yeah. Here's a high, a virtual high five. Here's your, your prepackaged, food that you know has been handled properly and here's your metal in a bag now frig off get that kind of here so that's the only bummer with any race i've done in the last three months you just don't get to celebrate yeah well what's your goals for the race man tell us about your big big sights for the race well yeah given 
given the competition, given the altitude, I've done everything I can to prepare. I've spent plenty of time at 10,000 feet training at 6,000 slip high sleep or slip, sleep high train low. Um, I think if I could really be within the top six on the swim, top three or four on the bike, and then, you know, pull myself into the top six on the run, given the guys I know are going to be there, I would be super happy, but we never know how altitude's going to affect some of these guys coming from like Tucson or something like that. But yeah, that's where I'd like to be top six. Sweet. Is the prize money? How, how deep surprise purse go? Okay. Uh, PTO has been gracious enough to pay top 10. That way awesome. we can all, you know, it's, that takes a, a big chunk of the change from the top three and it spreads it more towards the top, you know, gives seven, eight, nine, something to pay. Like even 10th place could win 400 bucks, which is incredible. You know, that could yeah. be travel accommodations or something like that. So it's the way it super, should be. It's the way we did it with our race too. It's like, there's no need. The people who are winning at the top, they don't need the extra 500 bucks. For one thing, they're probably getting bonuses anyway. And like going from, whatever 3500 to down to 3000 is not as big of a difference as going from zero up to 500 yeah it's huge big change so yeah i think that that's fair and plus it's covid times not a lot of people are racing so we just figured spread the wealth you know pay it pay the 10th person enough just to get out there and have fun and race so yeah but yeah let's move into the episode garrick yeah nick what is everybody going to be listening to going forward so i have been loving the Vasa swimmer gometer and there's a Vasa swim trainer as well that is not on a pulley machine that is like a, with a fan driven belt so there's two options uh, you'll you've seen ton, everyone has seen tons of Vasa videos going viral with um, you know no pools so that's why I was like man this tool has been absolutely vital for me especially as a coach teaching swim technique and bringing people back who have shoulder injuries. So the Vasa ergometer and the Vasa swim training system in general, um, I wanted to interview the CEO, Rob Sleemaker, I believe it is. I like, you know, when like somebody tells you their name, but then you thought it was another way, but then you can't, you can (laughs) combine them. It's either Sleeman or Shoemaker. We're not sure. (laughs) No. So I may be butchering it. I get it right in the episode though. (laughs) Um, but he's an incredibly nice guy. He's, he cares about athletes. He wants them to have a, the best experience. He wants to design things that just help propagate swimming that on a high level, even, or actually just anything within sports. So uh, that's why I thought we would bring him on, talk about the swim erg. Um, it's an investment for sure, but something that, <laughs> you know, triathletes for some reason, they uh, notoriously suck at swimming. So this is something that most triathletes could really look into even you know collegiate swimmers are using this olympians are using this so there's there's merit to it so yeah that's what we're going to be talking about with rob all right let's roll into it all right all right so i am so excited to bring on a longtime friend and we're just meeting in person so to speak uh for the first time it's rob sleemaker he is the I'm guessing the founder, the owner, the head honcho there at Vasa. He's shaking his head. Yes, I got it right. That is a win for me. Um, I wanted to bring him on today because let's just be honest. Right now, Vasa Ergometer, the Vasa Swim Trainers, have been a lifeline for athletes around the world right now with pools being shut down. This is the best tool we have had outside from elastic swim bands, which, you know, they do their job, but this is just next level stuff. So Rob, 
thank you for coming on and giving us some of your time. And I can't wait to ask you some questions. Thanks. Great to be here with you. So can you let me kind of get some background or let our listeners, you know, what, what really inspired you to develop this amazing set of machinery and how did it progress into the ergometer to where it is today? Thank you. It's a great question. Um, be a long-winded answer, but I'll try to keep it really quick. Um, so my educational background is in exercise physiology. And when I, when I finished graduate school and moved to Vermont, I got quickly involved with some elite level Nordic sports, Nordic skiing, biathlon. Got it. I, I got rekindled my own love for Nordic skiing. And anyway, I made a machine. I made this like a Vasa trainer, but it's a little bit different, but it was for Nordic ski training. And through coaching athletes, using it, and, you know, just doing what I was doing as a sports physiologist, a lot of people wanted it. And I was also coaching some pro triathletes at the time. Ray Browning was the, was the, the main guy that I was working with at the time. And um, got the idea to um, use the Vasa, the, the, the Vasa trainer that we were using for Nordic skiing, but to use it for swimming. It was like a slight adaptation to the machine itself. So you could lay down on it versus being in a standing position. <clears throat> and anyway, um, I guess I'm somewhat entrepreneurial. I grew up with an entrepreneurial father and grandfather, et cetera. And I decided I'd start a business, but um, for all the wrong reasons. And uh, one thing led to another. And I, along the way, discovered that... Um, you know, not only did the Vasa trainer take off and get really popular amongst, you know, the swim coaches and swimmers and triathletes, et cetera, and even surfers, but I also discovered along the way that I really enjoyed innovation and inventing stuff. And um, so I'm kind of lead, I'm leading to the second main product that Vasa produced um, was the Vasa swimmer governor, which is the model that you're using and are familiar with. And the main difference between the Vasa trainer and the Vasa swim ergometer is, or swimmers is on the trainer, you're pulling your body weight or pushing your body weight, depending on which exercise you're doing, up along uh, an inclined monorail. So it's your body weight, plus you can add resistance bands and weight and all this other stuff. Um, it's really like a total home gym, but it's really great for swim specificity. And that's one of the reasons why it got discovered by several Olympic coaches back in 1990, 1990, I guess it was. And the ergometer, if you think like a rowing machine, there's a fan wheel that is the main resistance. And so back in like 1998 or something, that's when I first started doing early prototypes of the erg. We didn't actually launch it as a product until 2004. But air resistance really feels better than most of the other kinds of resistances when it comes to doing ergometry. And uh, I mean, and I realized that, you know, like the Wahoo makes a, Wahoo makes a great exercise bike, I mean, uh, you know, bike trainer sticker that works off of uh, electronic eddy current. And that feels real, it's perfect for cycling, but for, um, for swimming, when you're really trying to gain a feel for the water and 
um, simulate something that the, the power output and everything else simulates pulling through water, that, that air resistance fan wheel is what really does the trick. So that's what we use for resistance. And when you're, so when you're pulling on the drive cords of the swimmer, as opposed to the Vasa train or the other model, you're not pulling your body up and down an incline for resistance. You're pulling on a fan wheel and you can change the resistance. There's seven different settings. And um, so depending on how much power you pull with, the, the air fan wheel gives back, it sort of resists your power. And it, and it feels really like pulling through water. So you can change the resistance so it feels like you're swimming with a current behind you, pushing you along, or you can make it hard enough where it feels like you're swimming against a hard current or, or even wind, stuff like that. So as you yeah. Yeah, you're not kidding. There's been times when I'll just put it like randomly on level four or five and I'm like, okay, this is like a full on strength workout. I'm like lifting 50 pound dumbbells. It feels like it's a, it's a tough workout with the higher resistance load. Yeah, that's, that's right. And um, that's, that's one of the, one of the things that gives it a lot of versatility because you can use it in different ways. Exactly. Um, you can use it for aerobic training. You can use it for anaerobic power training, sprint training. And we actually have a, an attachment. I don't know if you've got this one yet, but if you don't, let me know afterwards and I'll make sure we get it for you. But we have these, I described the Vasa trainer where you pull your body weight up the incline. Well, the, the swimmer, the, the full swimmer like you have, it has a long monorail and it has the exact same seat carriage and bench that the trainer has. So we came up with an attachment. It's basically a pair of adjustable length webbing straps. You can, you can mount to the front frame of the ergometer i do have that. that do you have that one yeah that's awesome yeah. so when you use that that's more that's for real strength training you can do isometrics you can do full you know pull throughs just like you do on the muscle trainer so it kind of turns the swimmer into a two-in-one machine yeah and i don't think a lot of people realize that you know you just because you have one, you know, if you've got the trainer, you are definitely you're going to miss out on the pulley system. But if you have the ergometer, like I have at home, you can, I've got the best of both worlds. I feel like I've got a, a trainer as well. And as a coach, I can't tell you how many people I've, or my athletes, I just bring them on over sometimes. And I just want to sh show them what EVF or early vertical forearm actually should look like. And the major issues I notice with swimmers is a lack of mobility and actuation of lift rot, internal rotate rotation of the shoulder while keeping the hand neutral in the water and then rotating the elbow upwards. So there's a really, there's a huge level of specificity you can gain using both of your pieces of equipment, whether it's just pure technique or developing strength once you have the proper technique. And let's face it, technique <laughs> is often the last thing beginner swimmers or adult swimmers think about for some reason. So I, I need to, we need to sell more of these things and get them out there. Now I've seen also, I mean, you've got to have a pretty strong following with college and high school swim teams. Have you noticed a lot of um, units being sold to those types of uh, organizations? Oh yes. You know, well, over the years, um, especially early on in, in with Vasa, that was the, those were the mainstays swim teams, of all levels, you know, whether it was age group all the way up through collegiate level and even the Olympic level, the, they were using the, um, they've been using the Vasa trainer for 
you know, like I said, since since it sort of got discovered in 1990 by these three Olympic coaches, it was at one of the American swimming coaches conferences. And that was pretty funny, that story, how I didn't even know who these guys were. They came over to our booth. They started playing around with the Vasa trainer that we had. And again, this was one of the early models. And uh, it was kind of a large machine. But these guys went nuts over it. And um, it was the, the late Richard Quick and the late North Thornton. You know, um, Richard Quick was at Stanford. North Thornton was at UC Berkeley. And then my good friend, now my good friend, Richard Schulberg from German, Germantown Academy. And those guys went nuts over it. So anyway, to answer your question, that kind of started the whole thing. And a lot of teams are using it. Now, now fast forward to today with the pandemic, we're met with the, those swim teams, those same exact groups of people. They really still love and need the product. But they're also met with some other constraints, especially financial. And what, I'm, what we're seeing more now is the teams that seem to be restricted by this, pen, by this health crisis, they're recommending their athletes try to get a VASA if they can because there's a really long wait list right now. But um, they get one for home. And we, we keep getting reports from coaches who they're coaching their athletes remotely. And as you do, you probably do it as well. Um, but many of the triathlon coaches and even many of the master swim coaches, there, they coach their athletes remotely who have a VASA. And, they, and now with technology, like what we're doing with Zoom or Skype or whatever, they can even FaceTime. They can, they can help those athletes with some of the technique issues that you're talking about, um, as well as walking them through, you know, meaningful workouts. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, man, I remember the first time I came into contact with Avasa Erg. It was in uh, Claremont, Florida, and I know you know who it was. It was Tim Crowley, who is just you know a huge supporter, longtime supporter of Avasa, and one of his athletes, um, Nicholas Sturgis, actually one of my best pals. Uh, He got me involved with, you know, wanting to buy one. And then I was like, man, as a coaching tool and as a pro athlete looking to, I mean, I came from zero, zero swim background. I I didn't start, I didn't start swimming until I was like 24 years old. So I had nothing. So I, I was like, I need to explore everything to be the best I can so I don't get my ass kicked by Olympians over and over again. So <laughs> I went all in and it was a big investment, of course, as, as you know, it's, it's like a at home treadmill type of price. It's, you can really go to town with it, but it's something that I think I've had now for four, maybe five, maybe even six years I've had mine. And it's, it's still, it's gone through two moves and it is versatile. It's never, I've never even had to call you guys for any problems yet. Uh, knock on wood, of course. So that's uh it's, it's a well-made uh, piece of equipment that I used as a teaching aid. And I think that's the best part. And you, can you tell us about some of the videos you've made online to kind of help coach as well? Those seem pretty high quality. Sure. Before I jump to that, I just want to do a shout out to, Thank Tim Crowley and, and Nicholas Sturgis. I really appreciate all the support they've given us over the years. And then to your point about the, you know, the quality of, of the VASA, of the swimmer and also the trainer, um, I just have to, I have to give a little bit of credit to my grandfather who taught me <laughs> the principle that quality costs less. And <laughs> yeah. so seriously, like he always said, when you buy something, make sure you buy quality because over the long haul, it's going to cost less. So we have, just so you know, there are people 
who still report to me they bought their trainer almost 30 years ago and their triathletes <laughs> still using their Vasa trainer hardly ever have to do any maintenance to it. The swimmer is a, um, it, it's built the same way. The only, the only caveat that you could experience on your machine is you probably want to maintain your rewind um, shock cords just so it re the cords rewind properly. Yep. And if you, if you do leave it in any kind of a harsh environment that could corrode the electronics, but that's like any machine, you know, yeah. you want to watch out for that. But I don't think you're going to have that problem in Utah. Yeah, outside in Florida, I would have not have done it. But here in Utah, you can leave virtually anything outside and it's not going to rust. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, we really, we take a lot of pride in making sure that our products are made right to begin with and made to last. So even though it is a, a swimmer, it's a $2,000 plus investment. But I think anybody who decides to plunge that in, you know, to plunge in and, and, and go for it, um, they can feel confident that that machine will last them. You know, I mean, I build the Vasa training to last a lifetime. And yeah. The swimmer is is pretty much that way, except for the wear the wear parts, some of the cords and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that it can get passed along to generations if they want to. Yeah, and I just had a call earlier with another counterpart of mine, and we were just talking about you know if you take care of your products, they're going to take care of you. So I just make sure I try to be nice to it and not bang it around or let kids jump on it and pull the pulleys everywhere. <laughs> so. Well, they're, they're pretty tough. We ha we have a funny story. Um, a, a coach put one put his erg in the back of his pickup truck, and was I forget exactly how what, what the story was, but he, he he was on the interstate or something in Ohio, and I don't know how it happened, but the erg fell out of his truck, and it bounced along. And oh no! So, and then he, someone someone saw it happen. They pulled up beside him and said, "Hey, you know, this thing fell out of your truck." So he had to circle back around and he went to get, he said the only thing that happened was one, a, a little bit of the frame was nicked. The, the paint got nicked off of it. The whole ergometer. No way. That's yeah. awesome. It said it, it said it worked fine. And I'm not recommending people do that, but you know, oh, of course they're, not. Built, they're built to be tough. So. Yeah. And, and the, you've been making sure people know how to use them too. It's not something you just buy and like, uh, okay. Cause I mean, that's the first thing I have to do is spend about a week having somebody understand it's not your regular swim stroke. There's no recovery. You're working solely on that initial power and all the way to the follow through. And that's it. Well, people can, you, 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 that is a great way to use it. What you're talking about, but you know, people can choose to do uh, what we call um, a high recovery or, you know, kind of like you would in the, in the pool or in the, in the water where your, your arm and your hand come out above, sort of the level of the monorail but that risks um, depending on your mobility and your and your shoulder health it can risk some impingement so what we really this machine really shines with as you say if you don't worry so much about recovering high but you bring your arm forward to that that almost like entering the water and then, then quickly get into a catch position or as you said earlier, like an early vertical forearm. And again, that's gonna be, someone's ability is gonna be affected by their mobility, their flexibility in their shoulder region and, and a few other factors. But 
it's that cat from the catch to the finish is where if they're accessing the right muscles used in propulsion and they can use this machine to learn the right muscles in propulsion exactly um, it works really well of course there's lots of other exercises people can do with the machine that can support shoulder health um you know i mentioned the the, the added webbing straps you can use for doing a variety of different strength exercises or isometrics that can help strengthen those small muscles in the shoulder girdle you can do internal external rotation exercises to you know to again just use it like a prehab or rehab machine but when it comes to swimming and swimming propulsion there, there's really kind of two factors that i think adult learned swimmers um all swimmers but adult learned swimmers need to be thinking about if you're swimming in the open water or with triathlons or or open water swims and those two factors are your body line and propulsion mm -hmm. and the the erg is really great for um getting into that high level catch position and pulling with some acceleration if especially when you're accessing the large muscles of the back the, the latissimus dorsi or lats um the rhomboids even the triceps and muscles in the back of the shoulder and all of that um and then ideally once they kind of nail that down if they can tie in the timing uh, if they're keeping a really long taut torso you can tie in the timing of of hip rotation like muscle activation in the torso and you transfer that into that pulling arm it's a, it it takes a little little bit of work but if you just lay flat on the machine and don't activate your torso if you let your legs dangle it's not optimal you want to have your 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 legs um you know long and taut your head to toe kind of long and taut and almost imagine i mean some people even do this they take a you take a towel or even a soft yoga mat and you roll it lengthwise down the center of the bench and lay on that from your like the center of your chest all the way down yeah. to your belt buckle and um that allows you to be just a little unstable so that you, when you go to that catch position you can drive the opposite hip into the into the bench and activate those um, core muscles that are used in in rotation in the water um, perfect um real quick i was going to ask you is there any because i've always wondered about the same thing the bench I don't have any complaints with the bench, but as a way to improve it, have you ever thought about making more of a bit of a contour to allow a little bit more hip roll? Yeah, um, we have, and the there's a trade-off like like everything, right? And we def there's lots of different ways that people could achieve that, but none of them. You know, what's the old expression? You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. Oh, of course. So we've decided that the the versatility of the of having a flat bench outweighs trying to make it so specific for freestyle. Because remember, we got people that do breaststroke, butterfly, backstroke, and freestyle. Well, and didn't you, didn't you adapt this for stand up paddleboarding as well? Well, the ergometer, yes. The, I mean, it, the, if you think of the the front end of the ergometer that has the fan wheel that I described earlier and that whole resistance mechanism, if you think of it like an outboard motor on a boat, you can put that on different boats. So on the swimmer you have, that's ideal for swimming. If you take that front end and you mount it to a, we have a wall mount bracket, 
then you can use it you can use it for swimming because we have a folding bench that you can put in front of it or you can use it for stand-up paddling or you can use it for a, a, just a slew of functional um, exercises using the air fan resistance so just depends on how you want to use it um, of course we we've steered you know we even had a kayak model for a while and using same front end and you can use it for canoe paddling and dragon boat and stand-up paddling even your machine with the full monorail and everything you could you could actually connect a stand-up shaft to one of the drive cords and just stand a little bit off to the side because the the, the drive pulley um swivels yes you do you could use it for stand-up you could use it for like ripstick kind of exercises and all kinds of things yeah, I thought that was really cool when I saw some videos of all the different techniques you could use for this one simple machine. It's pretty fantastic. Right. right. One one thing I'm, I'd like to mention since we're talking about the, um, you know, the swimming and the catch and and the fan wheel resistance. But um, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of great coaches, and they they observe things and then they teach me. So one of the things that Coach Eric Nielsen taught me, he's a master's excellent master swim coach and triathlon coach based in um, Loveland, Colorado right now. He coaches the Fort Collins Masters. But he's been training with an ERG for many years and he pointed out something about that the fan wheel, if, if you get the catch position correct and you pull with acceleration, the fan wheel makes a slightly different sound than if you're just pulling at the same arm speed. And, it, and he, he connected the dots with that and said, you know, a lot of adult learned swimmers and even accomplished master swimmers who have very good technique in the water, they still swim with what he calls a monospeed pull. And if you think about that, monospeed pull means a single speed pull. So they could look as beautiful as possible in the water. They reach forward, they get into that catch position and the speed at which they go from entry to catch is the same hand speed that they use from catch to finish. Hmm. So they're not really accelerating their pull, which means they're not really grabbing water and, and using their big muscles in the lats. Yes. They're gonna use more their, their triceps and their shoulder muscles, which can fatigue a lot sooner. But more importantly, they're not using everything that they've got. And so one of the great things about the ERG that you can teach any swimmer, but especially an adult learned swimmer who doesn't understand this concept of a monospeed pull, is that they can see it and they can hear it. And you can, and if you, you know, you could do this after, you know, at some point when you get back on your ERG, just look at your power numbers on your, on the power meter. And you'll see that if you're swimming with a, with a, a monospeed pull, and then you, you, you notice that, and then you start pulling with acceleration, your power numbers will bump at least 10 watts on average. Yeah, so, I, that is the best part is that you've allowed us to be able to quantify our effort via a independent variable like power. So no matter what, fatigues, what, however hell or why, high water, we can you know measure those efforts over and over. And like you said before this interview, you can take it from one workout to the next 10 workouts and you can monitor your power as you gain momentum. Yeah, it's uh, the result, the 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 power meter numbers um, that you see, you you see on the on the machine are um, they're very repeatable and so that 
let's say for example, you know, I know most athletes like to do some kind of a time trial once a month or you know whatever however often you like to do it. So I always tell people like um, you know depending on your race goals, your race distance goals and things like that, you want to start a, a steady progression of doing some time trials to see try to identify where are you having fatigue? At what point in that time trial are you starting to have fatigue? And even better, if you can get a coach to observe you or if you can videotape yourself, you can actually see what's happening to the stroke path and whether you're dropping your elbow or whatever. And you can synchronize that with when the power numbers are starting to drop on, your, on, the, on the power meter. And you can say, oh man, like right around 330 meters in that 400 meter time trial, um, my power numbers really started to drop off. I'm going to look at what my video was showing me right around then and go, oh yeah, sure enough, I'm dropping my left elbow. I'm pulling with a mono speed. I, I can really tell that I'm struggling or whatever. So then what does that tell you? It says, okay, well, I can adjust my training program. Maybe I need some corrective strength exercises that can prevent me from fatiguing. Or maybe uh, I need to do you know, back off a little bit instead of just doing long steady state erg workouts or swim workouts, maybe I need to do some shorter intervals with a little bit higher power and try to expand my capacity. You know, you know, you're a coach, so, you, you, but you use it as a diagnostic tool as well as a motivational tool to see like, you know, wow, when I first started doing time trials on the, on the Vasa swim erg, I really wasn't, you know, producing much power and it was taking me forever to do 400 meters. Now look at me three months later. You know, that's motivation, just like on your bike trainer or your treadmill. I agree. And you can transmit this same data to your Garmin, which can go to any other platform for analysis afterwards. So you can really see that power line and the stroke rate over time uh, either improve or degrade. Now, um, I, was, I was using the ergometer pretty heavily from, you know, I think two or three months in getting back into the pool and doing an open water or actually a, a pool time trial, I, I, I would say I was probably even getting back into swimming, probably maybe 10 to 15,000 meters per week. So not much can, I guess my normal goal is, you know, 20 to 25. I set a personal best in a 550 yard time trial, like without even, you know, blinking an eye. It was incredible that I didn't lose that muscle memory and I developed more power so let's uh transition into a little bit of an accolade to you like my, not just me but you've got some pretty impressive athletes who are using the swim trainer and the swimmer can you name a few or even if it's just by first name that you would want to say like thanks guys for using this thing <laughs> well sure i mean um I, I'm, I'm a little reluctant to drop names um, <laughs> as it sounds too self-promotional. I'll do it. Daniela Reef is on there using it. I saw that for sure. And she's obviously an amazing swimmer. Okay, so I'll, I'll get that name off the way. Right. She, she, it, it was interesting because I didn't even know she had a Vasa trainer. She has the trainer, not the earth. And um, then all of a sudden it started popping. Apparently, I don't know if she one of her agents bought it or whatever. They shipped it over to Switzerland a couple of years ago. And uh, next thing I know, I'm seeing it on social media. Like someone pointed it out. And then this last year, especially during the lockdown, she, you know, she posted quite a few videos of her training on it. 
Lucy Charles is another one. Yeah. I, I, had, I had no idea that they bought one. Susie Cheatham, we knew, bought one. Lionel Sanders also for, for triathletes. Um, there's a lot of swimmers and swim coaches that rely on them as well. Um, but um, what you're talking about, the your result, which is very interesting because, as, and we, we mentioned earlier, but I, you know, I co-authored a book recently called Triathlon Freestyle Simplified, and I wrote that with Conrad Doringer, who is also a, an accomplished triathlete and coach. He's an Ironman certified coach. He wrote a book called um, The Working Triathlete, and that's how I first got to know him. Mm -hmm. And unbeknownst to me, before I even met him and read that book, he had already bought a swimmer. So it was like this synchronicity that happened once we finally actually connected. Anyway, make a long story short, and I'll tell you about the book when you're ready, but he told me a story about when the lockdown happened in Nashville, where he's from. He literally, like for eight or 10 weeks, I think, all he could do for swim training was his swimmer that he had at home. Ooh. And he, uh, they couldn't get to water or anything. It wasn't even, everything was shut down. And then when he was able to, after that like 10 week period or whatever, they were able to brave some of the chilly water, but they went to their favorite lake and did a, a, a time trial. I, I wanna say it was a half Ironman distance swim. And it was a repeatable course. They'd done this course many times over the years. And he, he set a PR, coming, like not even being in the water. And all he had done was been on the erg, on the swim erg. And he goes and they warm up and they do it. And, you know, all variables were pretty much the same, according to him. And I've heard that story from other people, too. Like we had a customer down in Florida who had gotten an erg. And he, he sends this nice uh, note saying, like, I, I'm so excited. I've never been on the podium before. And I did, my, I, I did this race this last week. And this is right before the pandemic hit, right? And he goes, oh, my God, it's like I finally made the podium and it's all because I was able to swim and get out of the water and not be trashed, you know. And It's really exciting when you hear these stories because you, you see that it's making a difference for people. And uh, you well, know, I, I love hearing your story. Well, yeah, and it should be. I mean, for, it's, a, it's a big problem for a lot of coaches where triathletes don't take the swim as seriously as they could. And I always tell them, you know, if you even shave three minutes off your, your regular swim, that's a different part of the race that you're competing within. You know, even if you get out of the water a little faster, especially if you get out of the water within that three minutes a lot fresher, you've saved your lower back, you've saved your, your aerobic engine, and you've really allowed yourself to be a more hardcore athlete. So, of course, like the results are going to happen when you focus more on the things that matter like technique and putting power in the right area and I don't know just getting more feel for the stroke so there's obviously I mean this isn't intended to be a big sales pitch for you buddy I just this is just kind of happening <laughs> I just well you know I like to I mean I, I'm conscious of that as well that I mean that you know I own this company I'm in business but you know people I'd like people to know that at in my core at my heart I am a, like, I like to solve problems and it's what I've always done. It doesn't, and I'm not, it doesn't, the money part doesn't even matter to me. The sales part doesn't even matter. It's like, and this is why Boston machines became invented in the first place. It's why I've written three books, you know, and 
it's why I just like to do what I do because it's really like play for me. It's you, you get a problem, and the first thing my mind does is is um, see it as an opportunity to use creativity and collaboration with other people. Yeah, and you know I'm not. I don't have a big ego involved here to say like my idea, my solution is the best idea because, you know, I, one idea leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. So, you know, one day, 25 years from now or 10 years from now or whatever, someone will have come up with say a swim training device that is even better and has greater function or whatever it is than, than Vasa. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. But like when I put my, I think about examples in sport. Let, let's use let's use um, aero bars in, in on bikes, right? So triathletes were the people who innovated those years ago. It wasn't cyclists. It was triathletes who innovated, innovated aero bars. And the cycling world at first looked at that and said, "These guys are nuts. They're oh, so they scoffed. Yeah, whatever, right? And then Greg LeMond goes and uses it, and he blows everybody away. So. You know, and that started the whole thing, right? And now I don't know if it was cyclists or triathletes who were the ones who innovated the power meters for bikes, but you know, now, I mean, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, power meters were still coming into their own, but now look at them. I mean, you you wouldn't want to do a triathlon or or be a bike racer without power meters. Yeah, it doesn't even count. No, and so um, I guess the point I'm getting at is that. I always challenge people to look at problems as opportunities to use your creativity, ask questions, collaborate with other people, but don't stay stuck in the mud doing the same thing over and over again and, and expect a different result. And so uh, one, of the, one of the more touching examples of this that happened for me, it is related to the Vasa swimmer, but it was a, a coach that we worked with. We still, we still have worked with him for, for a while. Um, and he had been, his name, his, I guess I can name his name. He's a great guy. His name's Al Lyman. And he had had, a, as a kid, like a near drowning experience as a kid swimming. And so he, he, he really didn't learn to swim until he was an adult. But he decided when he saw the Iron Man on TV, he told his kids and his wife, he says, I'm going to do that one day. And he had to learn how to swim, right? And he lived near a lake in Connecticut at the time. And, uh, and then he started teaching himself to swim. But then I think he had an injury. If I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, he had a bit of an injury and his coach at the time recommended the Vasa. So he got a Vasa swimmer and he started using it while he was nursing this injury. And this story repeats itself over and over again with swimmers, triathletes, surfers. We hear this story all the time that they're forced out of the water for a period of time. They train on the Vasa, they get back in the water they're stronger, more efficient, faster than before. So you would think sometimes, I, I mean, especially I've, I've seen some of the most elite level swim coaches where this has happened to their athletes. And yet the athlete gets recovers and gets better and they put them right back into the same program that they were doing before <laughs> and less VASA or maybe no VASA. I'm like, wait a minute, let's <laughs> put <you> together here. <laughs> yeah. That makes you know, perfect sense. I still use it now more than I ever did four years ago, just because now it's like part of my routine for the week. You know, I can't get rid of it. I won't want right. to. Well, and so I, I think, I think what I, I don't like to just use an umbrella statement that says, Hey, it's better than swimming. And that's not it. It's like, let's dissect exactly 
what are the components of training on a Vasa that are, you know, what are the, what are the values of them? I mean, there's obviously time efficiency and you've already mentioned like you can measure power, at least on the swimmer. You can see what your art, your hand and your arm are doing and a coach can see it too. And they can make corrections. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to cheat on it. Um, and maybe there's other, there's other factors that I'm, I'm not the most skilled swim coach in the world. So I, I wouldn't be able to really dissect and say, this is exactly what's happening. But Several coaches over the years have told me why they liked using a, a Vasa trainer in particular to, to teach that I, that notion of the fingertips to the elbow, like a think of it like a paddle blade, like a yeah, paddle exactly. Blade. They want they don't they, they want the athlete to feel the pressure on the water, like basically from the bend in, from the middle of your palm, kind of up midway up through your forearm, but not out on the fingertips, and not too high high up on the on the arm. And it has, to, it has to do with, you know, surface area on the water. But all, more importantly, it's about accessing the most powerful muscles for swimming, which are the lats. Yep. And, and by doing that, like you can try and experiment. We have, we have one of our videos you probably have seen on the YouTube channel. It's, it's Coach Carlin Pipes Nielsen, who, Carlin Pipes, who's teaching like this whole high elbow catch and, and where you put the pressure on the water. And she says, you know, try putting, try pulling down with your fingertips and noticing your shoulders where you feel the pressure and then put your hand, you know, or put the resistance like by your wrist and push down again, again, using that like catch position and you can really feel the lats engage. Yeah. It turns off, takes it from a deltoid type swim to like a full back and core swim. And that's really, you have to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's what it's not only to get greater power and propulsion for stroke, but your the smaller muscles like the deltoids and the you know other small muscles, they won't be fatigued as quickly and therefore they're less susceptible to injury. Yeah, if if I put someone on the vaso and they're like, Man, my triceps are cramping up, I'm like, Well, you're do, you're doing it wrong. We've got to fix this right now. <laughs> sure. Wrong muscle groups. Um so definitely this incredible tool is it's been transformative for not only me but most anyone i ever know who's who's used it so what's the you mentioned this earlier but what is the waiting list like right now i mean i know you've had to turn off the factory and now you're probably ramping back up but what's it looking like yeah yeah well thank you for asking um well it's it's getting a lot better we um because of the the governor of vermont we we were forced to completely shut down for six weeks couldn't make anything, couldn't sell anything. Um, it was an interesting time. And then that was back in April, really, April and early May. And then we um, saw the demand. We, we started the wait list. I mean, we kind of, it was kind of like we had to figure out as we went along, but we, the wait list grew and grew and grew. And we just, we saw what was happening. It's, the demand is still happening, really, really high demand. So we've, done a couple of things we dramatically increased our production and i mean we, we almost we pulled all advertising just about we didn't need to advertise <laughs> and but we're, we're we're we just basically are scrambling and and you know we, we've already um not, i shouldn't say scrambling but we we really really like pushed down on the on the accelerator with supplier production with our subcontract manufacturing production everything 
across the board. And so we just found out this morning, actually, that the, the VASA trainer model, we should be able to turn that off of the wait list this week. Oh, this great. Summer, I'm afraid it's a while before we're going to be out of the clear. But what I would tell people to do is if they're really interested in having one, um, we, we've got a pretty good rotation, pretty good crank through. They get on the wait list and they will hear from us within a few weeks um, that an, a machine's come available and we give them the option of, it's like a first come first serve thing. They, they have the option of um, going in and buying one. We give them a special, it's like a special code that, allow, that unlocks the page so they can order it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's, we're trying to be fair to everybody because we also have really large dealer orders in Europe and other parts of the world, and, and we're trying to accommodate them, but retail really is um, right up there, just as important, if not more important, than the dealer orders. But it's well, fantastic. Yeah, I, I think we've seen that across the board with the shipping delays and customers probably being frustrated, but I think now we're at the point where people are like, well, it's it's not even worry about it. It'll happen when it's supposed to happen. And no matter how much you stomp your feet, you know, you can't get the products that you can't get. So <laughs> I know you guys are doing everything you can. Yeah. Um, we have a great, we have a great team of, of, um, you know, of, on the Vasa team itself, but some con subcontractors and suppliers and everybody working in unison. It, we're, you know, we all have the same goal, which is to try to get high, continue to maintain our quality standards and, you know, be able to provide people with the equipment they want to buy. Really quick before we close out, can you tell us a little bit about your your latest book and why you think it would be so beneficial for any triathlete to really dig into it since we're speaking sure. to mostly triathletes? Sure. Thank you for, for mentioning that. So the name of the book is called Triathlon Freestyle Simplified. It's available on Amazon. Um, they, people can purchase it as a paperback or they can purchase it as a Kindle book if they want. It's, it's a, you know, it's a media rich, multimedia rich Kindle book. It has links, you know, hot links to uh, videos and articles and all kinds of things like that. So it depends on what people like. Um, but uh, I'll try to make a long story short. But so I read this, I, I stumbled across Conrad Goringer's first book called The Working Triathlete, which I also highly recommend. And it's all about, really about focusing on, focusing in on what matters the most. If you, if you think of Parado's principle, the 80-20 principle, and, you know, 20% of the, the, the work you do or the, or the effort you put in is going to accomplish about 80% of what you want to get done, right? And so many triathletes are, are either adult-learned swimmers or maybe they swim as a kid, but they've been away from it for a while, whatever. But... Um, so somewhere along the spectrum is where different athletes fall in terms of their technique efficiency and also their fitness. So our goal with the book was basically to try to find, uh, try to identify for people that 20% of the things you need to focus on that are going to get you 80% of the results. And I like to basically come down to two things, body line and propulsion. So propulsion is, it's applying um, your fitness and building your fitness, but applying it using the correct technique. And body line is a mindfulness of, of what 
that your body needs to be feeling like, looking like, and doing when you're in the water. And so, you know, we saw that that a lot of athletes are time crunched. They're not always getting into the water. And when they do get to the water, they might not be doing the right things. And the book is all about helping people understand how to focus on what matters the most. And regardless of the venue that you're training in. So if you're training in the water, in the pool or the open water, there's guidelines there on improving your body line and improving your propulsion and training training that propulsion and that body line. If but if you're forced out of the water for whatever reason, or you just it could be because of time, it could be because the pools are closed, it could be just a lifestyle choice where you just choose not to go to the water all the time. Um, then there are um, training tools that you can do at home. You know whether it's body weight exercises or some light dumbbells or kettlebells, or you know, a lot of people buy um, swim cords, or they, like yourself, they, they come all the way up to buying, buying a Vasa swimmer, which is not feasible for everybody. But we try to give people some guidance on meeting them where they are and showing them how to get the most out of where they are right now to achieve some of their goals. I like to think of it in terms of, um, especially for triathletes, and, and I mentioned this in the first story in the book, or me, Conrad and I mentioned this um, sort of the tale of two athletes. Mm-hmm. If you start with the finish of a swim, when you're coming out of the water, how do you feel? And then if you feel fresh and you feel good, then your swim went well. So what did you do, what did you do during the swim? And then how did you show up at the start line, what did you do for the 12 weeks before you showed up at that start line? That story is going to tell you something. You can learn from that because you either showed up prepared, both physically and mentally, and of course, technically, or you didn't. And a lot of people show up at a race unprepared for whatever reason. They may, they may have been swimming all along, but they just weren't doing it correctly. Or yeah. It could have been people who said, ah, you know, I was a good high school swimmer. I'm just going to try to get by with what I've got. But the problem with that is you get out into an open water swim, and especially in a triathlon with lots of people. It's like combat swimming. You can, you're can, you going to face all kinds of conditions. And, you know, to me, first and foremost is I want people to be able to finish their swim feeling they did it safely and they feel good and they, 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 they actually – enjoyed it and so they're ready to start their bike and their swim the worst case scenario is when you get somebody who you know they weren't prepared they got banged they got their goggles knocked off or they got kicked in the chest or kicked in the head um and they didn't know how to deal with that and so the the swim could become a lot more miserable than it needs to if they had just prepared properly or the inevitable right yeah you know you've done enough races where you could probably relate a few stories of where no matter how prepared you were, you still ran, ran into some issues. Oh, of course. Yeah, and what it comes down to is being willing to put yourself in probably 10% harder conditions than what you expect on race day. And I'll use an example real quick of when I lived in Florida, I took a couple athletes out into some two-day-after tropical storm swell, and it was still probably a couple feet overhead. They were still looming and rolling, but – I'll tell you what, we lasted about 45 minutes. It took us about 
to do 500 meters in one direction, it probably took us two minutes. And then the other direction, it took us about 15 minutes because the current was so strong, but right. it was, it was tough. It was exhausting. And everyone for years afterwards, I still, I'll never forget that swim. So you've got to be willing to work harder and training and, and psych yourself out and handle that anxiety. Cause I've had still athletes tap out even within five minutes of the swim because the anxiety got to them. So that's a great point to put in your book. And it's sad when somebody can travel all the way across the world and end their day just because they got overwhelmed and they weren't prepared. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that story because um, I know we touch on those things in the book. Um, well, more than just touch on them, but um, I'm a big fan of, um, of uh, Jerry Rodriguez and Tower 26 and, and some of his approaches. But when you pull all of these different resources together, um, including antidotes like what you just expressed, it's like it really comes down to something I learned as a, as a Boy Scout. I, you know, I, I was an Eagle Scout, but the, our motto is, is in Boy Scouts is be prepared, right? So you have to think through all these different possible scenarios that you might run into. And if you can practice them, at least you got a, you got a shot at not yeah. letting it end your day. You know, you can, you can, even if you just tread water for a little bit or breaststroke for a little while, catch your breath, get your bearings, you know, whatever it is, at least you, you've got a presence of mind to be able to, um, you know, get control, keep going. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I'm going to make sure to, to dig heavily into that as well concerning your book. And I think the dry land stuff, the teaching proprioception, mobility, um, awareness is the biggest thing I see people missing out on. So everything that you encompass, Rob, with as far as the things you've designed, the the words you're promoting, they are just, I mean, you're gonna, you can make a really good adult swimmer. And that's the hardest thing statistically to do is to take an adult swimmer and to see them take even 15 to 30 seconds off their max 100 times over the course of a year or two. So I think if people... If, if we just had coaches who stopped saying, well, you're only in the water for the race for, you know, minutes versus hours, um, you know, I guess in most cases, uh, we, we don't want to take it seriously. I think we need to take it seriously. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, again, I think safety, safety is so important. And, and, but again, we're, people do sport. I mean, you're professionals and, and I know you do it for enjoyment, but, but there's other motivations, but people who are doing it recreationally, I mean, let's do everything we can to support athletes to have the most enjoyable experience and the most safe experience that, that they can. Um, you mentioned about earlier, you mentioned about resources and videos and stuff like that that we have. It's true. Um, in fact, one resource comes to my mind that might be really helpful to listeners. Um, it's, we, we, we produced about uh, nine years ago, we produced a, um, a video course basically um and carlin pipes is the primary coach but tim crowley's on it and even al lineman is on that but they can go to our website which is it's vasatrainer.com and you can sign up for a free five-part faster freestyle course you just have to look for it it's the faster freestyle course but embedded in that course which gets doled out via email over i don't know five or six lessons embedded in in that are these links to these videos and Carlin does a great she's an excellent coach and she does a great job 
with the visuals of, show, of helping people understand the stroke path and what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Exactly. I think that could be useful to people. It depends on how people learn, you know, but it's, it's great video anyway. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, in closing, like, I think the, the major message message here is you just have to be able to stop thinking about 30 things at once and just concentrate on one quality aspect for the course of even a week to a month rather than trying to fix it all at once. And that's that time crunched athlete aspect that you mentioned earlier. I'm sure that book probably relates a lot of that focusing on what you can control and get the most benefit from. Yeah, you know, something I've found, uh, if we've got just a, a little bit more time, uh, something I've found to be useful in my professional life and my business life and in my home life, et cetera, is if you think about something you want to do, say a goal you have or whatever it is, but you think about um, assessing it with, with two columns of, of, you know, ranking, so to speak. One of them is called importance and the other one is called viability. So I'm trying to think of a good example, but you know, someone wants to improve their, their half Ironman freestyle swim. Um, and they want to be, they want to improve by a certain amount. So that might be really important to them to do it and to do it that way, but the viability may not be there. So mm -hmm. that's, that will sort, help them sort this out and say, okay, well, what is viable? What can I do? So like, in other words, if some coach tells them you need to be in the water six days a week, but they, they've only got access twice a week. So this, that's not viable. Of course. It's, it may be, it's not to diminish the importance of it, but it's just not viable. So then that's where the problems or opportunities to use your creativity. So what, what could they do that's viable that also helps advance the importance of that particular training that they're trying to do? So I like to think of things that way when I'm prioritizing um, how I, you know, take a project on or how do I improve in sports? Of course. And we're triathletes. We're multifaceted people who think in different ways. So we should be able to walk outside of our own definitions of that we think or have to be done anytime. Right. That's the way <laughs> I wish it was that way. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I grew up in Maine and we, we have this saying that, um, you know, uh, when you, when you're doing something over and over again and not getting a good result, it's, we say, it's, well, it's like banging your head against the barn door. It feels really good when you stop. <laughs> yeah you never know how good you feel until you do something different that's always the key so rob thank you so much for giving us some of your time to reach our community and obviously i wanted to take time to promote what you do because i think you know you're you're a humble guy you're generous with your time and what you do and you just want people to get the best out of this experience which for us is triathlon so thank you for your energy and for your charisma and just keep on trucking and keep putting out awesome things. And we can't wait to see what you innovate next. So we had, we're glad. Yeah, you're so welcome. And, and I want to thank you, Nicholas, and I wish you all the best of success as you navigate through these uh, interesting times uh, to get you back to racing. Oh yeah. We're going to be racing very soon. I actually, we're, PTO is putting on a race for us or they're putting a prize purse for us uh, in a couple of weeks. So we've got a lot of good things happening, but until then we'll keep hitting the Vasa and thanks Rob. We'll, uh, we'll check in with you in a couple of months. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, Nick, thanks for carrying the team on that interview. 
since none of us were able to make it. Man, I haven't realized that the Vodka Trainer has been around since the 90s. You know, obviously I haven't been in the sport that long, but the fact that it's been around for that long and it sounds like they, they're really committed to the quality of the build. Who hasn't had something fly out of the back of their truck? But the fact that it was, you know, perfectly intact is hilarious. And like you said, you know, build, what you said, building it right is building it cheap or something like that. Yeah. It's like that leg you got inside that fake robotic leg you've got to run so fast <laughs> it's built well so she'll never break down on you yeah exactly but it's you know it's cool he kind of touched upon like having a, a tool for swimming you know like in biking we have all these tools wahoo makes the trainers you got like kicker kicker climb and then all these different trainers and then running's obviously stuck in the dark ages but swimming this is something that like a lot of swimmers use and it's something that most triathletes i feel like don't even know exists like I barely knew it exists, but until I saw, I think it was Miller who, who is like this uh, Olympic medalist in the breaststroke. And he uses this thing regularly. Uh, probably not so much now that he's sponsored by endless pool, but it's cool. And it's, it's a good training and it's, <laughs> it's, it seems a lot better than, you know, bands and more entertaining. And the fact that you can get numbers like power numbers in your stroke and really work on it. And there's, you know, there's certain cues like sound cues, which are super important when you're trying to connect things, right? Because like, how often do you try to tell somebody with their stroke, you're trying to, you're trying to make the, you're trying to tell them certain things to get it to like click. So like cues almost. That's the worst about being a coach for swimming. <laughs> oh, Think about a barrel, but then push your armpit down, but then yeah. twiddle your fingers and kick your toes together three times and say, this is no place like home. And you're going to be it. Exactly. And, and cues that work for different people, right? Different cues, yeah. which is so frustrating because some people have incredibly great proprioception and you can show them how to do it. And other people, you got to explain things. You're like, but just imagine this. And then they're like, <laughs> but I can't picture anything. Or it's, I am doing that. It's like, well, you're not. I can see that. <laughs> down to the bottom of the pool before you start pulling. <laughs> oh man. So one of the better, best things I tell people, I'm like, think about your arm is like, you know, like you got the construction equipment, right? It's got that big scoop on it. Like you're, you're just trying to make that little arm, same motion and same arc it, and then scoop it into your armpit. That's what we're trying to shovel all that water into your armpit. <laughs> they got to try to bring Tonka trucks into the equation here and make it work. <laughs> oh, geez. Anyways. Well, I'm sure yeah. you do a great old job there, Nick, and you're quite the ripper on the swim. I sure hope to be able to sneak out of the water with you in the next race <laughs> oh you'll be fine just grab my little toes i'll put a i'll always paint my left toenails so you know it's me when you come up behind me just your left <laughs> yeah i don't oh, i mean oh other... <laughs> it's not the right the other dude had the right okay this one's yes yeah, there's tons of guys who are painting their toenails now and for the swim and i want you to know who, <laughs> who i am <laughs> i think our viewers are gonna think we're drunk right now just just so the just to clear the air we are not drunk nope. i'm not at least I'm just out for a rip. <laughs> so anyways, we'll, uh, we'll end on that note, Garrett, great recap. We had an awesome time learning about the Vasa Erg and most importantly, just like immersive swimming. That is just like focused. It makes sense. You don't have to go kill yourself every morning for a, a commute, a change swimming, and then all the reverse of that. You just do it right from your own home. So it's a convenient tool to have. I love it. And, uh, you should go out and buy one right now. Put it in a credit card. No one cares. It's free money. 
and this is not sponsored. There's no code. No. Nope. <laughs> maybe you can let them know that you know you got it. You heard about it from the Real Triathlon podcast. Yeah, we are not sponsored by Vasa at all. We just really? love that stuff. Yeah, Nick loves it. I I, can't I, I do. It. I'm gonna have to try it some some point in time. That's right. We'll uh get you sponsored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no wait. Just kidding. No. A lot of the top pros, they don't sponsor. Doesn't sound like they really sponsor anybody. And all these top pros have spent their own money to buy it full price. Yeah. So it just shows how effective it is. All right. So we'll have a good episode for you next week. We're going to talk about um, ultra running and we're going to do a race recap. We'll talk about going to Cozumel. There's a lot of good stuff coming. Jack, any final thoughts? Um, I think you pretty well got her done, bud. Well done. Congrats on your win. We didn't, we didn't talk about that. Jackson won. Oh, did I? Yeah. We didn't really really celebrate it as much as we should have. We didn't. I want to hear your cheers. Yay. I'll put an applause in here. Yeah. Good old applause. Good job, buddy. Congratulations, oh. Jackson. We're proud of you. You're making the podcast proud. And he couldn't do it without all you listeners. So with that being said, peace. No way. Out. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise. On a one-man mission trying to see it through.